0: That was awesome. Uh, if you need a Bible this morning, we have some in the back. If you need a Bible to follow along with, just raise your hand and we've got some guys back there. We'll be happy to get you a Bible. And then let's start making our way to 1 Timothy chapter 4, back into this letter from Paul to Timothy. You can tell by the slide this morning, we're talking still about godliness and about goals. Uh, Goals, so important. I I may have mentioned him before, or you may know about this. He's not young anymore, but his name is Jordan Romero. He grew up in Big Bear, California, and at age 13, Jordan actually climbed Mount Everest. And a few years later, he accomplished his goal of of climbing the, the seven summits, just the highest mountains on every continent. I'm not trying to make you feel bad for not being able to climb out of bed this morning, but just want you to know that a guy like Jordan at that age, he knew the importance of goals for sure. Jordan knew the importance of what he wanted to accomplish, and he set both general goals and kind of more specific goals in order to achieve his dream. And for so many pursuits in life, I think no matter what you're chasing, no matter what you're trying to accomplish, I think you need both kinds of goals. You need the big ones, the the macro goals, and you also need the specifics, the smaller kind of more micro goals. Jordan knew that he needed a, a plan for like how often he needed to train and what that year would look like for him as he prepared to to climb those huge mountains. He knew he needed to get stronger in certain parts of his climbing. All that, all that stuff's the big goals. All that's like the general goals. But he also had a plan for the specifics. He knew what things he needed to work on, you know, specifically. Each time he he trained, he knew how to spend his time. He knew the details. He had an understanding of his plan to make himself the most ready and the most prepared so from general to specific from macro to micro those kinds of goals both both kinds are really important we need both to achieve what we're going after and to get better at, at guitar you you have to have general goals you know okay i'm going to set 3 hours aside this week to practice but you also need specific goals what am i going to do during those 3 hours Practice scales and watch YouTube videos of guitar players. Follow around Joe Ritter. I don't know what your plan is, but I do know that to do well in anything, we need both kinds of goals. It's true for every sport. That's going to be true for every subject. It's true for every musician, and it's certainly true for every Christian. No matter what you're chasing No matter the prize or the title or the award, that general goal is very good, but you need the specifics in order to succeed. As we come back to 1 Timothy, we have a text in front of us that's all about the specifics. It's the details of that big goal for godliness that Paul laid out for Timothy, that text that we looked at last week. We looked at chapter 4, verses 6 to 10. That was the, the prize. He was to grow in godliness. That was the main objective for Timothy. Paul wanted him to understand he wasn't to be like those false preachers those those pastors who weren't really doing what they were supposed to do those men who were already at this church they were not teaching god's word they were not helping the lost understand the gospel those men were lost themselves especially as they spent their time focused on and teaching those irreverent sort of messages those silly myths that's how paul described them so they were clueless those men were, they were just lost to their need for God's word. They were equally lost to their need for godliness. And, and last week, we got the general goals. We got the big goals, those macro goals of what we're supposed to be chasing with godliness. You may remember, we called it the diet and the exercise. We learned from Timothy that he was to be nourished on the word of God, and he was to be training in the word of God. And if that's true for this young pastor, we can certainly apply that to our lives. That's going to be true for us, for every Christian. So Timothy's learning that he needs to spend time in the Word. That was the main thing. That was what Timothy was supposed to be focused on the most. Those are the right goals, the big goals for us as a Christian to make sure our diet's right and training's right. But as we come back to chapter four, with those sort of big goals in mind, now Paul gives Timothy the details, the, the specifics, the micro goals. In other words, it's the you know here's what I want you focused on when you're when you're you know going to to God's gym. Here's what I want you practicing. Here's the plan. Here are the ingredients to really obtaining godliness. These are the areas of your godliness of your beliefs of your commitment to god that show up in the way that you live you need to keep these specifics that we're going to look at this morning on the radar keep a close watch on your life make sure these things are where they should be as you pursue godliness and our big idea this morning is going to be right from our text a christian must keep a close watch on their on their godliness Christian must keep a close watch on their godliness. In other words, God wants you to daily think about your commitment to him, to daily think about your life with him, especially in regards to the way that you're you're living. You need to keep a close watch on your life. And we're going to, again this morning, use Timothy as an example for us And as we do, I want you to ask yourself some questions. What areas do I need to grow in? Are there commands that I haven't really been obeying? Commands from God's word that I know I've been ignoring? Are there parts of the Bible that I'd rather not think about? Am I meeting those general goals? Am I being nourished on the word? Am I being trained in the word? That's great. But what other specific areas of my life should I be considering? How can I evaluate my godliness? What are the specifics that, that you need to know about? Well, let's read our text and find out. First Timothy chapter four, and we're going to start in verse eleven. God's word says this command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Again, this is Paul writing to Timothy, a a young pastor. Timothy was. Timothy's a, a little bit not just young, but he's also timid. He lacks courage. He, he's low on confidence. And we get a little sense of that in 1 Timothy. But Paul talks more about that in his next letter to Timothy. So we have a guy who's young and a little bit nervous. And from chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, we know verse 3, Paul has to urge him to stay as this pastor in Ephesus. And I think we learned from that that this is likely a a job, a position that Timothy would have never volunteered for. It isn't something he would have chosen for himself. He didn't really want to be a part of this difficult church. He's a pastor in a church that doesn't want him and didn't ask for him. And, And Paul gave him this task to go in and correct these elders and teach this truth. But he's young, and he's easily shaken, and he doesn't really want to be there. But it's not up to Timothy, is it? It's not really up to Paul either. This is God's plan for Timothy. This is God's purpose for him That's just so happens to be unfolding in a really tough place. And already, I think some of you should be able to relate to what's going on with, with Timothy's life. If you're a Christian... And you too live in a place that you're not really wanted. And I don't mean at home, like with your older brother who tells you to get out of his room every day. That's not not what I mean. I mean, you live in a world that hates the God that you love. A world that, that absolutely rejects the word that you live by. A world that wants nothing to do with the gospel and the promise of eternal life that wants nothing to do with the light that can set them free from the darkness of their sin. They love that darkness, and it's easy to be timid in a world that hates you. Common to feel like you'd rather serve God in a different way, maybe an easier way, maybe a more background kind of unnoticed sort of way. But just like Timothy, it isn't up to us. We don't choose our spiritual gifts just like we don't choose where we get to use them. Our desire as Christians should be for godliness, to honor the Lord in the way we live, no matter how or where that unfolds. And that desire for godliness leads to some specifics. This is how to do it. These are the areas that we need to think about. Here's God's instruction for pursuing this godliness. Here are the specifics for Timothy, and we can learn from him as well. And I want to structure these more like questions to help us think about it. So, the first question to assess your Pursuit of godliness is this. Is my life an example of godliness? First question to help you think about what you need to focus on. Is my life an example of godliness? Look at verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Here we have these five areas of how we're to be an example. Speech and conduct, and then love and faith and purity. When you live in a world that's against you, for Timothy, it's the leaders of that church. Uh, no way they just rolled over and just let Timothy do whatever he wanted to do. Of course, they opposed him, of course, they were up against his leadership and his teaching, and his life, and under that kind of treatment, it'd be easy to lose your cool. It'd be easy to to, to lose your, your control of your words. The Bible has so much to say about our the tongue, about our, our words, our, our mouth. We know that it, it can be a dangerous thing. James says in James chapter 3, verse 5, so also the tongue is a little member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And James goes on to say, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Tough description of of your tongue, of your words. As we think about the Christian life, we we start to relate a little bit to Timothy, being persecuted for your faith. That's something that all believers will experience. Jesus told his disciples, the world's not going to be a fan of you. They're going to hate you, but that's because they hate me. We are supposed to expect that every disciple of Christ, even young disciples of Christ, will be treated badly and unfairly. But listen, that's no excuse to let your tongue do whatever it wants to do. That's no excuse to just let the, the words in your mouth have their way. We must be an example in our speech. God's word instructs us don't be angry, don't gossip, don't slander, don't lie. Colossians chapter three, you know, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, verse eight says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self and its practices. Instead, Paul writes elsewhere in Ephesians four, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up only such as good to, to fit the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So our words are not meant to be, no matter the treatment we're receiving, are not meant to be words that tear down and defend and attack. And Rather, our words are, are to be edifying, to be encouraging, to be words that give grace The book of Proverbs is full of verses that help us understand how to use our words in a way that honors the Lord, how to to guard our mouths, how to choose our words carefully because that honors Christ, because that honors the God that we love and live for. And it isn't just our words, it's also our actions. Paul says our conduct is important too, right there in verse 12. Is your life an example of godliness, the stuff you do? What does it say about you? Not just on Sunday. This is, this is more of the everyday kind of boring stuff of life at school, at practice, when you're rolling with your friends in the neighborhood, whatever, all that stuff. What does it say about your life? You're to be an example of godliness in your conduct always, no matter who's around or who isn't around, no matter where you're at, you should live in a way that honors the Lord. So how we might think about our, our words and our actions, our thoughts even, I think these last three help us. Are they loving? Are they an example of real faith? are they an example in purity is your love for others on display or is it more a display of self love? Are your words loving? Are your actions loving? Are your thoughts loving? What about your faith? Is it on display in what you're doing? Would you, would you want somebody to do what you're doing? Would you, would you be willing to say, yeah, follow me as I follow Christ? If you want to be a Christian, do the stuff that I'm doing. It's a big statement. But we should be able to say, yeah, I want you to be a Christian like I am. That's living in a way that your faith is on display. Your godliness on display in your faith. What about purity? The last one, are you striving for purity? Purity in your words, in your actions, in your thoughts. We could, we could spin this into a whole other sermon, but it's so important and a great first question to help you gauge your godliness. Is my life an example of godliness? If not, what do I need to change? That's the question you need to be asking. What, what are some categories that I need to, to think differently about according to what God's word tells me? Okay, number 2. Number 2, not just not just am I an example, but number 2, am I using my spiritual gift? Look at verse 13. Paul says to Timothy, until I until I arrive, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Paul charges Timothy to be a pastor whose connected to the word of god and through this we can learn a lot about the way that we should serve the lord timothy was to stay devoted to the patterns before him he was to read the scripture he was to do nothing else he was to explain the scripture Nothing else. He was to make application for those who he preached to. He was to help them understand God's word and to help them know how to live it and nothing else. He wasn't there to to give his personal thoughts. He wasn't there to share his preferences, his opinions on what they were to be doing. He was there to read this and explain this and help that church know how to live this. Timothy was to stick to the word of God, and this is important, despite what everyone else was doing, despite what everyone else was saying, despite their tactics or technique when it came to teaching and preaching. Timothy was to remember his spiritual gift and not to waste it. God had had gifted him to be a preacher and a pastor, had called him to be the spiritual leader in this church church, and that can help us think about our own lives as Christians. I know we're not talking to a room full of pastors, but if you're a Christian, you're, you're a believer, then you've been given a spiritual gift. And like Timothy, you're not to neglect it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12.4, now there are a variety of gifts. Here's his Sort of explanation on spiritual gifts. There's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body or in the church, each one of them as he chose in Ephesians Paul says that believers are given spiritual gifts and we're to use those gifts not for ourselves but for everybody else. We're to use those gifts to build up the body that our gift is for each other to help them grow and mature in their faith. Ephesians 4:15 says, "We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped," When each part's working properly, it makes that body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's a helpful explanation of how spiritual gifts help the church become what it's supposed to become. We're there for each other. We're there to serve and help each other. Timothy's spiritual gift was shepherding. He was a pastor and a preacher and a teacher. Paul wanted him to remember his gift and remember that moment that the The elders of that last church, they laid hands on him. They affirmed his gift, but they sent him out to Ephesus. They sent him to do the work there in that church to to help them grow, to help them learn, to to build them up in the word. Likewise, you have a spiritual gift. You've been given a gift by God if you are a Christian. And in the same way, your gift is not for you, but it's for everybody else. It's to help them grow. It's to help them mature in their faith. It's to equip them to become who Christ wants them to be. Maybe some of you here will go into ministry. That's great. But many more of you will not. Way more of you will not be in ministry, but you still have a spiritual gift some are speaking gifts, some are serving gifts. Some of you will will be teachers, you'll have knowledge, you'll be gifted in leadership, and that's awesome for the church, but others will be gifted to help, be gifted to serve, be gifted to pray, be gifted to organize, and you should serve that way. And even as a young Christian, I would just add a little note. Where where do I start? How do I begin using my spiritual gift right? I would have you focus on the serving. Is there a place that I can help? Is there a place I can serve? Is there something I could do? Is there a a, a baby I could hold? Is there a trash can I could empty? And I'll let you figure out which one you might be good at. (laughs) How could I serve? And if you have an opportunity to serve, you should serve in the way that you can. Like Timothy, you need to use your spiritual gift. You need to cultivate it and develop it. Don't neglect the spiritual gift you have. So, questions. What can I ask myself as I'm focused on the specifics of godliness? What are some ways I can assess it? First, am I an example of godliness? Second, am I using my spiritual gift? Third, let me say it this way. Are you making progress? Am I making progress? Look at verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Paul's encouraging Timothy to stay diligent In his effort to grow, we have to keep practicing, keep working hard in our desire for godliness. It's already been said in the the verses right before, but we're meant to see it again. Every Christian's desire is to be for growth in godliness, and don't miss it. It takes a ton of work. It, It takes a ton of sweat and a ton of effort. And it's a call to give everything, to To not hold back, to leave it all out on the court, to live it and breathe it, to bleed godliness and to give our entire lives to this pursuit of being godly. Paul just keeps saying it over and over and he's trying to motivate Timothy and through God's word we're meant to be inspired. We're meant to be motivated as well. And I think, though, in the midst of that motivation, it can also be a little bit overwhelming. A little bit like, I don't think I'm doing this right. Progress in this verse, it's such an important word. Before you leave discouraged, thinking that you're not growing in godliness, ask yourself, has there been progress? Have I grown closer to the Lord in the last year? Since last Christmas? Has my relationship with Christ improved? Have I found that my diet is is a little more focused on His Word, that my training is a, a little bit more focused on the Word? Do I care about God's Word even just a little bit more? Has there been progress? Am I understanding the Word better? Am I desiring to live according to the Word even just a little bit better? Have there been sins that God's word has exposed in my life that I've repented of and am trying to put to death? Has the Spirit's fruit been on display in my life at all in the last year? Progress is helpful. That word's so helpful. No athlete expects to master a skill in a day. No musician expects to own a piece over the weekend. They know that it takes time and it takes work and it takes effort to learn those skills. And the Christian life is the same. Often been described and compared to a marathon, not a sprint. It's long and it's 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 your whole life, it's not short, it's not quick. Junior hires, keep that big picture in view when you think about your godliness, when you assess your your relationship with Christ and your growth in godliness, ask yourself, has there been progress? And just like Paul encourages Timothy here, I think we can learn a, a great deal. People should be able to see progress. Ask your parents. Ask your small group leader. If you're not sure, ask those who know you and love you. Do you see progress in my life? Sometimes we're our own worst critic. But in the end of the day, I think you should be able to see growth in godliness. And if not, make changes that you need to. Go back to the big goals, go back to the big picture, figure out what's breaking down. Great questions to ask yourself when you assess godliness. Lastly, let's just look at one more. We'll call it this number four Am I living balanced? My living balanced? Verse 16 says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you'll save both yourself and your hearer. The balance you must keep is both in what you're learning about God and how that learning is shaping the way that you live. What you believe about God, it's going to impact your words, your actions, your thoughts. The more you know about him, the more you love him, the more you want to serve him. Keeping a close watch on that matters. Keeping a close watch on the way you live matters too. If you don't live in balance, bad things are are headed your way. If you're not doing what you know you should do according to God's word, problems follow. If you're not living the way that you know that you should... I think you'll find quickly that you're either going to try to dismiss it. I think that's a a huge error we make. I think number two, we stop believing it. And number three, we try to change it. If we're not living according to the to the way God's Word calls us to live, those three will start to happen in your life. I'm going to dismiss it, I'm going to stop believing it, or I'm going to try to change it to accommodate the way that I'm living. And that's a dangerous road you don't want to be on. Those who live this way, you're putting yourself at risk for abandoning the faith, for walking away from salvation and and leaving the gospel, which is truly where Paul ends here. Those who persist on keeping a close watch on their life and on their doctrine, those are the ones who persevere in salvation. That's what he's saying there. He knows it's not actually saving yourself. It's about enduring. It's about persevering. Those who live this way will persevere to the end. Those are the people whose godly lives also will make a huge impact on those around them and lead others to salvation as well. Junior hires, listen, godliness begins with those big goals we looked at last week. You need the word of God if if you're going to grow in godliness, but here are some specifics This is a let-me-spell-it-out-for-you kind of message from God. If you want to grow, here are some areas to assess. Here are some great questions to ask yourself. Your life should be an example of godliness in your words and in your actions, in your love and faith and purity. You should be serving as a Christian who's been given a spiritual gift to use. You should be making progress, and perhaps most important, you should constantly be assessing your life to make sure it's in balance, to make sure that your life is in sync with the Word of God. Keep a close watch on your life and on your godliness, and if you do, God promises that you'll grow in your faith. He promises that you'll grow in your godliness. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a few minutes to look at this great, rich truth. Lord, these goals are so helpful for us. Great way for us to think about specifically what we should be doing. Lord, I pray for the young Christians in the room this morning and Lord, for all the Christians in the room this morning, Father, you would help us to desire godliness the way that your word instructs us to. Yeah, we understand that that Timothy is written to a pastor, but those goals for him are so good for us as well. And I pray that you would help us to see that and to learn from, from the instruction we see in your word. God, help us to desire it. Help us to be mindful of our example, to be mindful of the gift that you've given us. Father, I pray that you would help us to serve you, Lord, not for the approval of any man, but only the approval of of you. God, I ask that you'd be with us as we head to second hour, as we take communion, Lord, that you'd help us to just remember the gospel and to remember the importance of just rehearsing what you did, that you sent your son to die to save us from our sin. God, we love our church, and we're so thankful to be here this morning. And I I pray that you would help us to stay alert and attentive and receptive to your word this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.